Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Stacy DeWitt. Stacy is the executive director of James Storehouse, an organization that provides multiple services to people in need, including young people aging out of foster care in Newberry Park, California. Welcome, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining our podcast series. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm very interested in learning about you and your organization. I've known about James Storehouse for quite a while, but I'm very excited about learning much more in regard to the details and your strategies and what you do there. But before we get into that, what I'd like to do is ask you if you could please share your own personal background, your journey, and what brought you to working with young people in foster care and what brought you to James Storehouse? Yes, I am a biological mom and an adoptive mom, and I have been a foster mom. And it's been a privilege to do that in different ways of being a mom. It's all a joy and a privilege. And I am a bilingual teacher by education. So I taught for 10 years and at the time, California was promoting uh, primary language learning. So I taught in Spanish and I taught the children English and I just fell in love with the culture and the families and the children. And I did that for about 10 years. But then 10 years ago, I opened up my own tutoring business and I just wasn't completely at peace with what I was doing. I knew there was something more I needed to be doing. One day I got, 10 years ago, I got a call one morning from a police officer to come pick up a three-year-old at the Palm Garden Hotel in Newbury Park. So I dropped everything. I threw the car seat in the car and I drove over there and the police officer was standing outside with this beautiful little three-year-old who had on no clothes except for a diaper and she had an empty sippy cup and he handed her to me. And I wrapped her up in a blanket and put her in the car seat and brought her home. And we, you know, were bonding and playing and starting to really like get to know each other so she could trust me. And I thought, oh, wait, I don't have any diapers. <laughs> what am I going <laughs> to do? I, I don't have any toddler food. I don't have a bed. I don't have clothes. So I started to make a plan and, you know, went out to the store and called my neighbors and my sisters-in-law to say like, I need some diapers. I need clothes. I don't know how long she'll be here, but I want her to feel loved. Mm -hmm. And so- May I interrupt? I'm sorry, but just to clarify, this is because this young girl was in the foster care system and you were open to receiving a- Yes. Child. Okay, great. And so after having her settle in, we learned that there are thousands of other families who would take in a child in crisis if they have some support, because it's very expensive to welcome a child or sibling set, and you don't know how long they'll come. And we thought, well, what if we had some sort of a, a warehouse because everybody has such nice things and the babies and kids outgrow their clothes and their baby gear. What if we had a little warehouse where people could donate and then we could give it to families who are taking in children or teens in crisis. That's where the dream started. We got to have that feeling of what it's like to take in a child with no belongings and then be able to equip our community to do something about it. 
It took us about nine months and our little church of 80 people raised $100,000 in order to open up our first brick and mortar location. That's our first James storehouse. We paid the rent for two years and all the utilities. And we thought, you know what? This is paid for for two years. If we are able to help social workers and families and youth for two years, and that's all we get, then we've done our best. But if we're able to raise a donor base during that time, then it could be self-sustaining and we can help a lot more people. And so that's exactly what we did. And in that time of opening James Storehouse, the resource center, the warehouses, We didn't have a model for what we were doing. We just literally said, where do we see the holes? Where do we see the gaps? And let's fill them. So it's been such an adventure to get to do this. So we learned that in the process that California, especially LA County, and we're the bordering county, Ventura County has the largest foster care crisis in the nation, about 35,000 children in foster care. And we know that annually throughout the country, over 20,000 will age out every year. And we can do something about this. These youth are very worth investing in. They are brilliant, kind, smart. And if we could step in as family, step in as mentors, we can change the trajectory of what our community looks like. And so that's what we're doing. James Storehouse has grown. And last year alone, we were so blessed to be able to help 14,632 children, youth, and their caregiving families. And the more awareness that's out there about the work that we're doing and the other orgs that we partner with, the more youth and families that we can help. And it is such a joy. I can imagine. It sounds wonderful. I want to get into some of the details about what you do for the youth and what types of things you offer, but I have to ask, where does the name James Storehouse come from? (laughs) Yes, that's a lot of people will come and, or they will call and ask for James. There is no James. (laughs) I hope there will be someday. I would love to have a big, big dog that's just so loving and name him James. Oh, that'd be awesome. (laughs) But in the meantime, James Storehouse is named after my favorite Bible verse. It's James 127. And it just says that what is pleasing to the Lord is to take care of widows and orphans. It's just vulnerable populations. So just loving vulnerable populations, caring for their needs is what's on the forefront of God's heart. And he wants everyone to know that they're loved and cared for. So that's why it's James Storehouse. So James from James 127 and Storehouse, because we have our warehouse. Sure, sure. Well, you said, or you implied that you have more than one now. Is that true? We have our one location, but we hope to have additional locations in the future. A lot of people will see our work on social media and they'll say, I want to do that in my neighborhood. I want to do that in my state. And we'll equip them with what to do and how to get started. So there are people actually all over the world who are doing similar work. I knew when we were starting this, I had this little quiet voice inside that said, make this reproducible, make it simple and reproducible. And I didn't really understand what that meant. But 10 years out, I definitely see and understand what that means, that other people can do this work and change lives of the most vulnerable youth through these simple ways. Because you're a nonprofit, it wouldn't be like a franchise, but I could see certainly a network of 
local James storehouses, if you will. Yes, yes. We love to empower people to do this work. That's fantastic. I love it. Now you offer things, right? So people donate items of some kind. So what's the range of types of things that you offer? And I know that you offer this to a broader population than just young people aging out of foster care, but I'd like to hear kind of generally, what are some of the things that you offer that people can come in and select from? And I assume it's free. And then what types of things could you have for young people, older teens in foster care, those facing aging out, all of that? I want to hear what kind of stuff you have. And then if anybody's listening who would want to donate things, then maybe how they can do that for you. Okay. So if you come to James Storehouse, you will see that it is, it's like a home-like environment. It's beautiful. Dignity and empowerment are two values that underscore all that we do. So we want people to come in. We want the youth to come in and families to feel like they've gone to a boutique or they've come to a home where you feel loved. And you will see things in our warehouse, in our boutiques. Yes, all of it's free. And you'll think, oh, we just provide emergency resources or concrete supports, but there's a bigger picture behind this. So our North Star at James Storehouse, our main focus is to help break the generational cycle of abuse, neglect, and poverty. And we do that first by meeting emergency needs. And what you'll see in our boutiques and warehouses, a variety of things, we have clothing from preemie baby all the way up to four and five XL. So anybody who is entering care at any age or has aged out and needs support, they can come in and they can get a full wardrobe of what they need for that particular season. Tennis shoes, school supplies, any concrete need they might have, we have it and they can come shop for it. So everyone comes to us by social worker referral. People can't just come off the street, but they can like email us at jamesstorehouse at gmail.com to ask how can we make an appointment to come shopping and then we'll tell them to reach out to their social worker for that initial referral. And after they've gone through the boutique that is for their particular age, they are welcome to look through one of our warehouses and we have anything you would need for a home. There are beds, bunk beds, cribs, mattresses baby care, car seats for all ages. There is a section of home goods. So if the youth are setting up an apartment or a dorm room or a bedroom in a home, they can come and they can pick out whatever that they need. If the youth do not have transportation, we are within a certain radius able to deliver and help them actually set up if they need that type of support. Oh, we love to do that. We also have a food pantry. We have noticed over the years, we started it in 2020 during the pandemic. Most of the youth and the kids come and they're hungry and they don't have the transportation to go find a food bank somewhere in the city. So we thought, well, what if we had an actual food pantry right at James Storehouse? We could be like a one-stop shop. So we have food, we have a refrigerator, a commercial refrigerator, freezer, pantry items, everything you need just right there. So first we meet those emergency needs, and then we begin to develop relationship with the youth. First of all, we know that it's in relationship that hearts heal. So relationships heal. And so we want to come alongside the youth more than a a one-time thing if they're open to it. 
and really walk this life path with them. So there's different programs that they can be a part of. The first one that I'm thinking of is our baby showers. As we know, 75% of teen girls in foster care will be pregnant before they're 21. What can we do for these amazing girls? And sometimes those dads want to be part of this too. So a social worker will send in a referral for a baby shower. We will either text or call or email with that youth having the baby and find out what they need. Sometimes they don't know what they need because they haven't been a babysitter before. And so we have our staff that will walk them through the things that they will be needing to make parenting easier and more successful. So then we meet the girls and sometimes the dads come along and we love that at their baby shower at James Storehouse. So everything is wrapped, ready to go. We have a cake or cupcakes. They get to choose the theme and we keep it small so it's not overwhelming in any way. Then we just start to get to know the girls and the dads in that way. And we ask them questions and if they've picked out a name and then they open the gifts and we have an opportunity to explain what those baby items are used for and how to use them if they don't know. So like the baby carriers and we'll practice with like a little stuffed animal and we'll teach them how to do that. And that is the first step to building a relationship, building trust so that they know that we are here for them, that if they are tired and need a break, they can come to James Storehouse at any time and we will help them. Sometimes relationships are a little bit deeper, so they would go out for coffee and things like that. But we have that initial meeting at the baby shower. We have so much fun and we just really celebrate. And then we always invite them to our life skill classes. We have a bunch of classes that we offer during the month and it creates not only like a social network for the youth, but also life skills. We teach things from study skills to parenting, to nutrition, to self-regulation and how to help your child with the emotions. So we're developing relationship with them and then continuing to build trust. And then we get together about, oh, once every six weeks or so, we'll all get together. Sometimes we do the classes on Zoom because that's easier. And then sometimes we'll all get together. Like this last month, we all went to the pumpkin patch together with all the kids and all the parents. And it was the first time many of the parents, they themselves had been to the pumpkin patch just because that's just the way that they, you know, life happened for them. And so we're building connections and memories and moments with their kids and trying to like start breaking that cycle that maybe they may have experienced with neglect or abuse. So we have baby showers. We have our classes that we offer the youth. We have a leadership academy. So for those youth that we see a different kind of potential, like they have particular grit or resilience, or they are very articulate or they really see a bigger picture, we would invite them to come to our Leadership Academy. We meet once a month and we teach lessons and discuss different topics in leadership and how to develop that in them and challenge them. So getting to know the youth is like the most important thing, building those relationships. And they're amazing. They often come and hang out with us and help jump in and volunteer and just become part of our James Storehouse family. So we've met the emergency needs, we're in relationship with them, we're helping to break generational cycles. Maybe they'll jump into one of our other programs, like our mentorship program. That also continues to help us break those cycles. 
So our mentorship program is called the Open Table. And that is one youth with six to eight community members. They meet once a week for one hour for one year. It's been incredible. It's a mentorship model that connects local professionals with a youth who's aging out and guides them towards positive change. So the youth is the one who kind of directs it in terms of what this youth would like to do. Is it something that they would like to do? Is their first goal is getting a cell phone? Is it learning to drive a car? Is it going to trade school? Is it help navigating finances? They get to decide what it is they want. And then these mentors who are trauma-informed and trained help them through. And they all stay in relationship past the one year if they'd like to, but it's just really, really close mentorship to help launch them successfully into whatever area they're looking to go into. I will pause you and just say that The Open Table, the organization, it's a national organization and they won one of our awards last year. And I'm actually partnering with them on a new employer open table model that they are piloting. So it would be tables within an employment situation. So I'm very familiar with Open Table. I think it's a great model. If anybody's interested, you could just go to theopentable.org and find them. Yeah, it's incredible. We're blessed to be the first organization to bring it to California, and we're starting to see more people learn about it, and it's so effective. It is just an incredible model. I highly, highly recommend it. You keep referring to us and we. Who are your staff? Are they hired staff? Are they volunteers? Do you engage your church in the work of James Storehouse? How does it work? Like if somebody's interested in this model that you have, how is it that you're getting the people who are the adults building relationships with the folks that you're serving? Yes. First of all, start off, we have 10 part-time staff. We're open to serve the youth Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Besides that, we have a couple of hundred mentors, volunteers, I should say, that help either every week or biweekly. And it's just such a fun way to make a difference. We have our volunteer training, have events. We just make it like we're just a family. You know, that family feel where there's food and everyone is loved and it doesn't matter what's happening in your life. You're okay. That's the feel that we have at James Storehouse with our volunteers and our staff. We don't try to change anybody. We love people right where they are. And we just want everyone to know that they're loved and cared for and important. And it's contagious. I feel like, especially now since the pandemic and just the way that there's so much stress and anxiety in society, like to come to a place where it's okay and you're loved is so powerful. So that's our culture and that's our we our volunteers, and our staff. Wonderful. Wonderful. And how many mentors do you have as part of your mentor program? We have 10 tables and each table has six to eight mentors. So we're coming close to about a hundred mentors. Wow. Wow. And I know the open table has a training program built into their model. So you utilize their training? Oh, yes. Yes, we do. We train new tables every approximately every six weeks. Okay. And you work with individuals, primarily youth in Ventura County? 
And L.A. County. Both and counties. L.A. County. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. And I know that, you know, there may very well be people from that area listening. So one, an opportunity maybe to refer a youth and two, an opportunity to be a mentor. Yes. Yes. And the training is so good. It really helps people understand what happens when someone has experienced abuse or neglect or both in their life. And why is it that maybe they might come to the conclusion that A, B, or C would be the right door to walk through when a mentor might think like, well, why didn't you just do it this way? But it gives a comprehensive understanding of when youth fall down, they're resilient, they can come back. But why sometimes do they make choices that aren't the healthiest for them? But you have to have that training and understanding to know why that happens. Right, exactly. One of the challenges is transportation, especially for young people who might not have a car yet or a way to get around. Help me understand kind of your situation as far as location. Are you in the city? Are you in a suburb? Is there public transportation that people can use to get to you? What's your scenario there? We're in Newbury Park, which is in Ventura County which is 15 minutes from the border of L.A. County. There is a bus stop close by for public transportation. And we, depending on the situation, will help youth with transportation with Ubers. We try to look at what is the barrier for someone to come to us. And then we crush that barrier (laughs) because like there's no excuse. We can help. And so what is it that we need to change to make our services available? I think an Uber, not just food delivery, but just a general delivery service is such an opportunity for just in general in life, (laughs) right? You want to send something to your sister across town and both of you are ridiculously busy with your families, call Uber General or whatever. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out there and then they can deliver it for you. You know, you would probably have to say, here's how much there is, here's how big they are, then they know whether to bring a van or a truck or whatever. It just struck me that there's an opportunity for people if they're looking for, you know, starting a new business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I know if I had a business like yours, I would engage them. Okay, so another question, how do you let foster youth know about your services? I know you've mentioned social workers. Is it primarily through social workers? That's how an initial referral will come to us. So yes, LA County is wonderful and their social workers know about our services, Ventura County social workers as well. And social media is great too. That way youth can Instagram message us and ask any questions or find out how they can come and make an appointment. Wonderful. And my last question here before I let you go on, (laughs) because you might have more (laughs) programs to share with me. You've got so many awesome programs. Your food pantry you mentioned. I'm curious. Now, I know every state is different, but what types of licenses or special hoops do you have to jump through? One, to start a warehouse like you have, or two, to have a food pantry? Because I'm thinking that maybe they're two different sets of hoops. Well, our warehouse, we just have our Costco type shelving. It's literally a warehouse. And our food pantry, we have to follow the rules. We partner with FoodShare. We come out and inspect and make sure that we have one of our staff members trained to keep food safe. It's really an effective way of helping youth, and it's not a ton of work. There aren't a lot of hoops to go through. It's just responsibility of taking in food, finding that food, making sure that it's kept at the right temperature. It's really fun. So the warehouse is really just, you just have your 501c3, you have to get the property, 
And you have to just go through the right steps to get that 501c3 through your state. Yes. But there's nothing additional for the, just the warehouse. So that sounds easy enough. It's Well, buying the warehouse might not be easy. but <laughs> <laughs> We didn't buy it. We <laughs> and then maybe finding a warehouse or some kind of storage location that's near public transportation, I would imagine might be a recommendation. Yes, definitely. And I feel like sometimes people will reach out to us and say, like, I want to do what you're doing. But they want to do it at the scale that we are right now at 10 years out. But we didn't start like this. We started with making deliveries out of the backs of our cars. And our cars were where we stored the cribs and the things. And then we used our garage. You can just start doing the work and you don't need to have a 501c. You know, like you can just start caring for people and loving people and meeting needs. It would seem to me to be overwhelming to look at where we are now and say, like, I want to do exactly that right now. But there's small steps and even small steps can have big results in the life of a youth. Excellent advice. Now, you had mentioned a resource center. Is this a physical location that's part of the warehouse? Yes, it's separate from the warehouse. Our resource center is where we have our boutiques. So we have three free boutiques. We have the baby boutique, we have the tween boutique, and then the young adult boutique. Those three are where the youth and their children can shop. And we also have a trauma-informed sensory integrated playroom, which is used for if youth are coming to shop and they have children, they have a safe space to play and feel at home. We also use it for court-ordered family time. So if youth happen to be working towards reunification, they can book time in that room. And we always have age-appropriate activities and some guidance if they want and how to play with their kids, how to talk to their kids, how to read books to their kids. Then we also have a classroom. And the classroom is used for, obviously, teaching. We do our mentorship in there. We do our leadership academy in there. We use it for baby showers. So that's our resource center. Okay, excellent. If somebody wanted to donate items and or volunteer for you, where do they go to do that? I would imagine your website, but where do they go? Yes, they can go to our website, jamesstorehouse.org. And right at the very top, it talks about our donation hours and what we accept. They can always just email us too. If they have any questions, if they'd like to donate furniture, we have a different protocol for that. We have an email address. It's donations with an S on the end dot James storehouse at gmail.com. And they would tell us what furniture they'd like to donate and they could send a picture with it. And then we look on our list of youth and families that are in need. And if we have a need for that particular item, then we will make arrangements to pick it up from the donor. And that same day, we bring it to the youth or family. So that's kind of a general overview of how our donations work. And when we keep donations, we keep them because we accept new and gently used clothing. We only keep the best. So we're not Salvation Army. We're, We're educating the community still 10 years out that we want these youth and kids to feel loved to know they matter. So we only keep the best. So if there's any stain or rip or tear, or if it's out of style, we'll re-donate it to other organizations that will take it. 
but we keep the best. We keep the tags on if something's donated and still has the tags because it's so fun to get something new with a tag on. So we just keep it at this really high level that we would wear or what we'd put on our own kids. Excellent. I love that. And I know I interrupted you earlier. Are there other programs that you have that that you haven't shared with us yet? I want to make sure you have time to do that. Yeah, we have a transitional housing program for girls that are aging out, females that are aging out between the ages of 18 to 22, 23. We have a beautiful home that they can have reduced rent. So they have their own private bedroom and they share a bathroom. The rent is 600 a month, but then we save 200 of that every month for them so that when they exit the program in two years or so, they have a good savings account. So they have money for first and last month's rent. It's a beautiful home environment where they have family dinner once a week together when all the roommates come and they just share life together. And then what's going great, what's hard, what's going on. So they make dinner together once a week, but everybody has busy lives. So this particular transitional housing program is for girls who are looking to go to school or looking to work. It's a program to help them launch successfully into independence. Sure. And how many young people are in that home? There are three young people and then a resident director who lives there with them full time to help them navigate and to be a mentor to them. So live in staff member. And our goal is to help them thrive. And like I said, transition successfully to independence. Sure. And is that very far from the warehouse? This particular home is in Ventura and it is located within walking distance of the local college. So if they are interested in attending school, we have a couple of girls that are interested in nursing. They don't even need to have transportation. They can literally just walk to school. It's really impressive that you started delivering from your cars <laughs> and now you are a program that offers some really key significant support services to not only youth aging out of foster care, but definitely that population could utilize and benefit from all the services that you offer. And I love it. I just, I'm excited. And is there more? (laughs) There is one more. I won't talk about all of them, but. But wait, there's more. more. (laughs) So over the years, we've learned that housing and transportation, reliable transportation are the number one and number two needs of every youth aging out. So a number of years ago, we started to develop a transportation program where the youth can apply for either a bike, a helmet, and a lock, because sometimes they just need reliable transportation and they're not ready for the responsibility of owning a car, but they need to get to work. They need to get to school and doctor's appointments so they can apply for a really nice bike or they can apply for a gently used car. And these cars come from the community people that they could sell it, but instead they would rather donate it and help a youth. Just last year, we were able to provide through the community 15 cars and 97 bikes to get youth the reliable transportation that they need. So we have a car presentation. When a youth comes, sometimes if it's the right situation, we'll make it a surprise, like if we know (laughs) them. Otherwise, they will know that they're getting a car but haven't seen it yet. And we have a big red bow on it and we'll have people waiting and we walk them out and it's such a special moment. It's such a special 
moment. And sometimes the donor of the car will want to be there because they're so excited and they'll want to meet the youth. And sometimes they'll donate it anonymously. Or sometimes the community members will donate the funds so that we can go out and buy a gently used car. But it's just a really effective tool that gets these kids to work, gets these kids to school and helps them transition. Wow, that's fabulous. And now I don't know that much about it, but when you donate a car, is there some kind of tax break? Mm -hmm. Yes, we write the donor an official letter and they can have that donation on their taxes. Okay, so everyone listening... (laughs) (laughs) And not just your organization, there may be other organizations in your area that are looking for donated vehicles. So there's, you know, there's a tax benefit for doing that. Definitely. And we don't take just any car. Sometimes people don't understand the intent of our program and the scope of our program. We don't take cars that are like, they're not functioning. (laughs) They have to be able to pass smog check and they have to have good amount of life on them. And we always give the kids the car in good working order that we would put our own kids on the road in. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. You want them to be safe. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Good tires, good brakes, just everything in good working order. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm having such a wonderful conversation and I have other (laughs) questions I could ask you, but I know I wanted to get to what I like to discuss at the end of every podcast. And that is how can the foster care program specifically make improvements? Where are there opportunities for improvements to help young people age out of the foster care system successfully? But I don't want to cut you off. If you have anything else you want to share about your program, please share it and then we'll go into that conversation. No, I love this. This is what I think about all the time. What can we do to make this better? Because I see all the gaps. I see the holes. I see the lives that can be undervalued, underutilized. Like, what could we do to make this better? What's really on my mind is for the last 10 years, I've been working very closely with the Department of Child and Family Services in both counties. And the system is set up right now to remove children from abuse and neglect And meet them there in that time of need. But my mind goes, wait a minute, we need to go way upstream and have a robust prevention program so that those children, when they grow up to be youth, haven't needed to enter foster care in the first place. What can we do to stop it? And there is so much we can do. As I've researched and talked to people, we could literally, if we put our funds and our time and our energy into a robust prevention program and go upstream, we can stop the cycle and change lives. What that looks like for me so far is a ton of prevention services. Like I have been looking at the positive protective factors, the six protective factors that the Department of Health and Human Services already says are valid. So when risk factors for youth and adults, they tip the scale to one side, then it's important to consider these protective factors that can level the scale. What this looks like is focusing work on these six protective factors. Should I go over and just say what they are? If you don't mind, because I'm sure there are some people who aren't aware of them. Yes. There's nurturing and attachment. We need to teach parents how to bond with their kids. And that creates a different kind of attachment and it helps with all aspects of behavior and development. Parents and children, they have like this strong, warm feelings for one another. Children develop trust 
and they want to thrive. They feel loved. So we can teach these skills to parents who don't necessarily have them naturally, and we can start to build on that. So nurturing and attachment is one of them. Another one is knowledge of parenting and child development. We can teach these things. We can teach parents. There's extensive research out there. We can teach them how to listen, how to have rules, how to have safe opportunities to promote independence. We can do all these things and teach them about child development. Another one, number three, is parental resilience. So if parents can learn how to cope with crisis and when things get hard, what do they do with their emotions? Instead of turning sometimes to negative behaviors, negative patterns, we can teach people how to deal with typical day-to-day stress of raising families and strengthen them. Another one is social connections. Humans are built for social connections. And so many people are not connected anywhere. So they feel alone. They could make poor choices. But if we provide social connections in a healthy way, we can change a generation. Well, I think, unfortunately, a lot of times when you don't have the positive, supportive social connections at home or family or community, Mm-hmm. then it's found elsewhere Yes, through potentially more negative influences. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because if you have a social network of emotionally supportive friends, family, it makes all the difference. And we can provide environments where people are welcomed into those healthy connections. Another one is concrete supports. That's number five. This is something that we're already doing. And it can prevent children from entering foster care in the first place, like literally food, clothes, books and school supplies. If a family doesn't have a refrigerator, they could lose their children. Table and chairs. There's a list of certain items that a family has to have in order to successfully parent. And if they don't, they lose their children. That doesn't make any sense. So let's bring those resources to those families and also invite them to these classes and we can change a generation. And then the last one is social emotional competence of children. So this looks like an after school program coming to our resource center, homework help, teaching about emotions, having an art class, just building those connections. What amazes me is these are already like scientifically studied and approved, but if we have groups of people that are focused on these protective factors, there's so much that can be done to prevent the youth from coming into foster care in the first place. We could teach like mental health, financial literacy. We already do these things. Parenting classes. This is so doable. This is so attainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a matter of dedicating funds to it, right? Yes. Yes. And staff to be able yes. to do the early work, that more preventive work. Yes. And from what I hear is that California is going to be changing more towards this model which I think is wonderful. I'm not familiar with what is happening in other places in the country, but I'm excited to be able to look upstream and make a difference so that in five years from now, in 10 years from now, when we have a conversation, it looks really different about how we support youth because those needs will have already been met. But right now, what could we do? And I think a great thing for people to do is open up their homes if they have an extra bedroom and invite a youth to live with them. Housing is almost impossible here, affordable housing. 
And I know a lot of people who have an extra spare bedroom and they can invite a youth to live with them and be part of their family. And that's what they're craving. But how do people find the youth? Because I know we've actually gotten emails from retired individuals, maybe empty nesters who are saying, hey, we have this room now and we would love to house a young person aging out of foster care, maybe a youth who left foster care and is in college now. We'd love to be that home. But there isn't like an Airbnb (laughs) for older foster youth, right? And I think that's a big question that people have is who should they connect with from your perspective? Let's see. From a perspective of the country, I would say reach out to their local child protective services or Department of Child and Family Services, their local area and inquire and just say like, I have a room, I would like to open it up to a youth and host a youth. Who do I talk to? If they have a foster closet in their area, they could connect with that foster closet and say, who do I talk to? Because chances are that foster closet is going to know people at their county who are social workers and they can network that way. They can reach out to foster resource centers, youth nonprofits. We all know about the need and we all are connected to youth. So it's not impossible to find a youth who would love to come into a home. I think that's probably the best approach. I think contacting Mm -hmm. whoever your local or state organization is, and then they they can help connect you. Or even there are universities that have programs specifically for young people aging out of foster care or first generation. Yes. If you can find actually Aging Out Institute has a list of them. It may not be exhaustive, but it's a good solid list of universities around the country that do that. Great idea. Maybe you can contact that program and say, hey, on break over the summer, we'd love to house this young person. And they'd be over 18, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like you would need to worry. I don't think about background checks or anything like that. Depends on your state maybe, but I would yeah, imagine it would be easier. State. Yes. And you know, what's really interesting is that at some big universities, I won't name any of them, there's a gap in housing for the youth who are in foster care or have aged out. Like at the summer, their dorm housing will close. And where is that youth supposed to go? They can't go home. Everybody else gets to go home, but they have no home to go to. So it's so stressful for them to try and finish finals and think about where am I going to go live for this short amount of time? So that would be an awesome opportunity for a family to open up their home for the summer as a host home and just say like, this is your place where you're going to land and we care about you. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to cut you off, but I think we do need to probably close our conversation. Any other thoughts on improving the foster care system before we wrap up? Oh, yeah. One last thing, and if you have another one. Yeah, I just want to say that like the problem is large, but it doesn't mean that we can't find a solution to help these youth. Like it is so going to happen as people begin to hear about the possibilities of change and where we can invest our time and money and our lives, it is possible to change the generation that is coming and they won't even need to enter foster care in the first place. I agree. I mean, that really would be the best approach. Absolutely. Kind of it's along the same lines. If unfortunately young people are in foster care, start working with them young to help them understand the skills that they need to transition to adulthood. Start in middle school, right? Don't wait until they're 17. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's just so hard. It it's is. It's so hard to wait that long. Yeah. It, it is. You can't just cram everything into a six-week course and expect them to be successful adults. It just doesn't work like that. No, you're exactly right. No. They need to learn it's, things. It's in relationship. Yeah. Yeah. As a relationship, you have to learn something, practice it, get feedback. You know, it's how we learn things that when we're growing up. And these young people need that type of support as well and that growth you know, slow growth rather than trying to cram it all in in a class. Yes. And they need that safe person. <laughs> mm-hmm. While they learn these things, they need that safe person to say, you know, I have a question or how do we do that again? So if people are willing to like open up their lives and just open up their hearts, it can change a life forever. I agree. Relationship, I think, is the primary important factor mm-hmm. for young people transitioning to adulthood successfully. I think that's number one. Mm-hmm. And all the rest, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's all mm-hmm. very important as well. I think it all needs to address, but that relationship is so key. Agree, 100%. <laughs> well, I think that's a great place to end the conversation. It has been wonderful talking with you, Stacy, about James Storehouse and brainstorming some thoughts on improving the foster care system. And I thank you so much for your time today. It's been fabulous. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, for those of you who have listened to the end of the podcast, thank you very much. We try to put these out every couple of weeks or so. So just keep checking back on our website and or sign up for pretty much any podcast distribution platform and you can get us that way as well. So thank you very much for listening. Until next time.